Amen. The passage that I, I want us to look at this morning is in the New Testament, and it's in the first chapter of Peter's first letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 3 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, and reading from verse 3 to 12. Let's hear God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin this morning by sharing with you a testimony. It's not my testimony, but it's the testimony of a converted mullah who lives in North Africa. This is what he's, he's written. I am of the nomad people. To be nomad is to be Muslim. This I believed. In my zeal for God, I often spoke against the followers of Jesus. As an expert in the Quran, I tried to use it to refute their claims. But they kept on teaching about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And the teaching that he was hearing was coming over the radio. I studied their book also in order to show them the foolishness of their beliefs. I would use their own book against them, I thought. But the more I read, the more I began to see the truth. Finally, God broke into my darkness through a dream and I knew I must follow Jesus. I turned away from my own efforts and found forgiveness trusting only in the Messiah. 
Suddenly I was free from my sin. Free from self-reliance. I was free from the burden of law. Free from empty religion. I realised all God's promises to us are true and fulfilled in Jesus. Joy filled my soul. A joy that could not be contained. This joy compelled me to tell others about him. Before I trusted in Christ, I was very religious, doing my duty before God. But in Christ, I'm not doing my duty. I'm sharing the joy God has given me. I've been persecuted, imprisoned and slandered for the sake of Christ. But these things are not burdensome to me. They're shameful for those who do them. I, I however, am dearly loved by God. It's a privilege for me to join God in his work. As Christ suffered, so do we. As he looked into the joy set before him, so do we. God has brought many to faith and joy in Christ. I look forward to all he is about to do. What joy to be a part of God's great salvation work. And there were two things that stood out for me in, in this man's testimony. There was firstly his experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus. That he knew had set him free from his bondage to empty religion. But there was also the joy that he knew that seemed to be bubbling out of him and overflowing in coming to know Christ. Just in the last 10 days, I've built a, a contact uh, with a guy who lives in Soroti in Uganda. And uh, I've tracked him down because I saw an article in one of the uh, bits of the Christian press saying about how he had been arrested and imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Because I know some people in Soroti, I thought, I'll see if they know him, see if I can find out a little bit more about him. And in the last two days, he's written to me, his name is Isaac Napolok, and he too came from a staunch Muslim family. His father was a mullah, and he was being trained in a madrasa that he would follow in his father's footsteps. He too had argued against the Christian faith, and yet he'd heard a street preacher proclaiming the gospel in Soroti, and he couldn't get the words out of his head. And in the end, he repented and he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he's now part of a church that is led by a pastor who we had the privilege of training some years ago in Soroti. And he's now an evangelist. And he's just full of the love of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. And he's seeing other Muslims coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why... They set about him, he got himself beaten up by a Muslim mob. They then said that he was offending their feelings and sensitivities and the police arrested him. And he's yet to face his court case. And what struck me about both of these stories is how they connect with verses 8 and 9 of the passage we, we've just read. It says, whom having not seen you love. Though, that, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
And as we look at these verses together this morning, I just want us to think of three very straightforward things. Firstly, that like those who were written to by Peter, we're a people who have not physically seen the Lord Jesus. Secondly, there are a people who have believed in Jesus and loved him, even though they've not seen him. And thirdly, there are people who have rejoiced with joy inexpressible and full of glory, even though they have not seen him. And so firstly, a Christian, you and I, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and know him to be your saviour, you are a person who though you may not have seen Jesus, you do know with assurance that others have. I noticed you've got the, um, the what used to be Christian Witness to Israel, the, their, their little booklet on the table at the back, and I don't know how many of you take that and read it. But I was reading in that just last night, catching up with it, about uh, a man who has come to faith in Israel from a Jewish background. But it was saying that one of his relatives had tried to convince him, who who was a a staunch uh, follower of Judaism, that there is no evidence at all for Jesus. Isn't that tragic? A Jew living in Israel, familiar with the Old Testament scriptures because he's got a, a responsibility as a rabbi, And yet he's absolutely convinced that there is no historical evidence for Jesus. And yet here, in this statement that Paul, uh, that Peter makes, he's pointing us to the fact that there is abundant evidence that there are those who have seen Jesus. But that there are those who have not seen Jesus, but have heard the evidence of those who have, who have believed And have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was an ear, eye and touch witness, wasn't he? He'd been with Jesus, he'd touched Jesus, he'd listened to Jesus. He had seen Jesus physically. And in the Gospels, we've got endless accounts of people who met Jesus. People who had an encounter with the Lord Jesus that fulfilled for them a great longing in their heart. Like Simeon and Anna when the baby Jesus was brought into their presence at the temple. There were others who lived alongside Jesus as he grew up in Nazareth. And yet it had no real impact upon their lives at all. And then when the Lord Jesus began his three years of ministry, there were people who heard him, who saw him, who benefited from amazing miracles that he performed. And there were those who believed. And there were those who didn't. It seems likely that Luke himself didn't have a physical encounter with the Lord Jesus. Which was why when he wrote his gospel, he was so determined to convince Theophilus that he had researched thoroughly amongst those who had. So that what he wrote would be reliable, based on evidence. The Apostle John begins his first letter with the reminder that there are those who are true witnesses of what Jesus said and did. And yet just as then there were people who heard 
and saw, so today there are those who hear God's word, and yet they do not believe. And what scripture is teaching us through this is that seeing and hearing Jesus physically, if that is not sufficient, it didn't convince Herod, it didn't convince Pilate, then we should be surprised, and shouldn't be surprised, that hearing about the Lord Jesus is not sufficient. We have to believe on him because he has been revealed to us by a gracious work of God the Holy Spirit. And so, although a Christian is a person who may not have seen Jesus, but knows that others have, we're actually a person who, though we haven't seen him, yet believes in Jesus and loves him. If you're a Christian, you have believed not just because you've heard, but because, apart from any natural experience of seeing Jesus, you have had a supernatural experience of seeing and hearing Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the Word. The Apostle Paul puts it in this way, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's as startling and as staggering as the original creation. That God spoke the creation into existence and he is still speaking into existence the people who truly know him, who truly love his son for what he has done for them. As Peter says in verses 3 to 5, we're a people who have been extraordinarily blessed. And it's all according to his abundant mercy that he has begotten us again to a living hope. In other words, we've been regenerated. There's a miraculous work of God's grace that has been done in us that brings us to a living hope. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died and is raised from the dead. Not just as a fact of history, but because it is the long-purposed and planned Work of redemption that God had promised. And he reveals it to men and women through his word, by the spirit. So that they might yet come to know and to love his son. Seeing Jesus in the gospels by the spirit. Is actually as good if not better than seeing him in the flesh. Do you remember that Thomas struggled to believe that the Lord Jesus had been raised from the dead. He said, I'm not going to be convinced and then I can put my, my fingers into the marks of the nails and put my fist into his side. And then the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And he didn't want to do that then. Because he was not now just seeing physically. His spiritual eyes were opened and he saw the Lord Jesus for who he truly is. And he said, my Lord and my God. And then what did Jesus say to him? John 20, 29. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. It's by this kind of belief 
This belief that comes supernaturally by the work of the Spirit. That we come into a new and living relationship with God. We know that we've been delivered from condemnation and death. And we know that we have the hope of eternal life. Because we believe what the Spirit of God has revealed to our soul. We have life. And we don't just have life. We have a new love. A very different kind of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him because we know that he first loved us. And that he took the initiative to take the burden of our sin to the cross. And to pay that penalty fully. Again, some words of of John the Apostle. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It was such a powerful love. Such a deep love. Such a steadfast love. Actually a love that stretches from everlasting to everlasting. A love that transforms our heart and mind. So that we can say, I now love the Lord Jesus. A bit like the hymn writer though. We know there's a dimension of mystery about that love. There are depths to that love that we, we've yet to comprehend. And so we say, Lord, make me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. And this love that we have for the Lord Jesus, it shows itself. It shows itself in our delighting in him. That we're able to say with the psalmist, apart from you, I have no good thing. And now we know that the psalmist had lots of good things. But actually supreme and above and beyond all the good things that he did know. Was this love of God to him. This mercy and grace of God to him. And that transformed his whole relationship with God. He knew that there was nothing better than all that he had in God. And that's the same for us too, as the Lord's people. We delight in the Lord. We say with the hymn writer, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see. We show that we love the Lord By delighting in him. We show that we love the Lord by being a true disciple. You'll remember that Peter failed the Lord drastically and dreadfully in his disowning of the Lord. Before the Lord Jesus was crucified. But after his resurrection, Jesus met with Peter and said to him, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And then what did Jesus say? He said, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, show that love by the way in which, as a true disciple, you live to serve me and my people. That's another way in which we show that the love of God has changed us and transformed us. 
We not only delight in the Lord, but we are willing and ready and eager to serve him by being a true disciple. And one of the ways in which true discipleship shows itself is in the way in which we serve our brothers and sisters. We love the brethren. That's one of the emphases of John's first letter. He says if we've truly known the love of God, then we will love our brothers and sisters. And scripture also says that if we love the Lord, then we will long for the day of his appearing. As John writes in Revelation, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they, those who pierced him. Some will see him, as we can understand from what comes later in Revelation, with terror. And we who believe will see him with longing, satisfied. So we may not have seen him physically yet, but there's a day coming when we will see him. As Job says, I will see him with these eyes. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? We, we know that in our hearts we love the Lord. And yet, like the hymn that we sang a little while ago, with, uh, with the cowper wrote, we also say, oh, for grace to love him more. We know that there's something about our love that is weak and faint. It's not all that we would want it to be. And there's a hymn we're going to sing in a few moments, says... This is Charles Wesley's hymn. He says, You will I love, my joy, my crown. You will I love, my Lord, my God. You will I love. Beneath your frown or smile, your scepter or your rod, what though my flesh and heart decay, you will I love in endless day. However poor and weak our love might be at present, if there's true love there, it's a love that we've been given that we might love God. And there's a day coming when we will love him with a freedom and a joy that is beyond us even at this present time. But the third thing I want you to notice that Peter mentions in these, in these verses is this. Is that a Christian is someone who, though they haven't seen him, rejoices in him with joy inexpressible. And full of glory. I find that challenging too. Particularly when I read a testimony like that of the mullah. You know he was so conscious that he served God as he thought. Out of duty when he was a Muslim. But now it's his delight to serve the Lord in the cause of the gospel. Because he's full of the joy of the Lord. And it overflows from his heart. And it's, it's the same with Isaac Napakol in, in, in Sarotin. And the way in which Peter describes this joy is he says it's inexpressible and full of glory. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he's conveying at least two ideas to us by using those words. The first thing is that it's a special kind of joy. It's not just a natural joy, the joy that you might have in ordinary things from time to time. This is a special kind of joy. And that means it's actually both in the way it affects us, 
And also in its nature, it's actually beyond words to describe. We, we can't find the right words to describe it. It's unutterable. Sam Storms, the, the Christian author, has written that it, it, it's, a, it's a joy that cannot be confined to the capacity of our mind or reduced to the definitions in our dictionary. There aren't words to be able to describe it adequately. It's something beyond words. And yet we know it is an experience of the soul. But just because it is inexpressible or unutterable or something beyond words to describe, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. What we say will always seem inadequate. And yet it is something that we do need to express. And express not just with words, but express through our demeanour as well. A, a joyful person will have something about them that distinguishes them from a person who isn't joyful. And that's, I think, what Peter is getting at. It is inexpressible. Because it's special, and we can't find the words to speak about it. But it's also profoundly life-changing. And that too means it's beyond words to describe. But secondly, notice, it's not only inexpressible, it's full of glory. What is this glory? Well, I think it's partly why it's inexpressible. Because it's the glory of Christ. The joy comes from knowing the glory of Christ, who not only has worked for us, but is at work in us by the Holy Spirit. And is an anticipation of what it is to be transformed into his likeness when eventually we see him face to face. And we're brought into his presence to live with him forevermore. We're told that we will share in his glory. So it's a foretaste of that. And so just as Christ is full of glory, we're told that that glory is seen in the fact that he was full of grace and truth. Even so for us, the grace of God and the truth of God gives our joy a glory that is nothing to do with the things of this world. Now, once again, there are times when this can seem so far removed from our experience. We, we may feel it, it's only really true of the saints in glory. But Peter isn't writing this to those who've already gone into glory. He's writing this to believers scattered across Asia Minor, believers suffering under persecution. And Peter's expressing this as something that he knows for himself and as something which he also knows is true of those to whom he writes. We might say that this is more of what normal Christian life should be marked by. And, and that's why I've shared you the two testimonies. The love and the joy in the experience of these two brothers has really challenged my heart and made me recognise again that as important as it is that we are absolutely clear 
about what we believe of the truth that God has revealed in his word. The thing that should really mark us out as Christians is that we're people who love the Lord and are deeply joyful. The Bible makes it quite clear that loveless Christians are an anathema. And joyless Christians are an anathema too. Because both the love and the joy that is being spoken about here has been implanted in the soul by the work of the Spirit. It's about Christianity not only being known, but felt. And this joy in the Lord is because we know that in Him and in Him alone we've received the salvation of our soul. So, we may not have seen Jesus, but like those who Peter wrote to, we know that though we haven't seen him, we believe. And we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Because we know that we're receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And that the salvation of our souls will be complete when... On that day, we see Jesus. And wonderfully then, set free from this body of sin and all its fallen weakness, we'll live with him and rejoice before him like we've never done before. But until then, we heed the exhortation of the scripture to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, to love our neighbour as ourself, and to rejoice always. And as Paul says, and again I say, rejoice.